Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. I'm so glad that you're here today. We are kicking off a new teaching series. And if you're kind of new around here, that's kind of how we do Sundays. We'll break them into blocks of teaching. We'll talk about something until I kind of run out of things to say, and then we'll move on to the next thing. So for the month of May, we're actually looking at one of the most central characters in the whole Bible. It's the life of Moses. And you may be familiar with that story, or maybe you've seen one of the movies about him, and you know a little bit about that, but I think what we have no idea about is how much his story reflects our own. And I'm so excited. I mean, we're going to dive into all the major significant moments of his life, but what I wanted to do today as we kick off this series is to start with something you got to do if you're ever going to understand the story of his life, or of any life, you got to start with the backstory. You got to start with the backstory, the story that came before the story. And we are all familiar with the idea of backstories. We all know that that's an important part of every story. In fact, you know, that's if you've ever seen any sort of comic book superhero movie, you know that they love the backstory. The origin story is so important. In fact, uh, this weekend, Patrick and I went and saw the new Avengers movie. And uh, we were watching that the whole time. You know, I'm, I'm leaning over to him going, this is really significant that they're in this laboratory right now because back in the old days, and I'm kind of telling him all the backstory. And I'm like, it's really important that the alien robot falls in love with the witch. And these are words that a grown man said to another grown man <laughs> in a movie theater. And at one point, no kidding, Patrick looks over and goes, I'm trying to watch this story. So, <laughs> shut me down at that point, right? So you're familiar with how important the backstory is. In fact, there's tens of thousands of people in our city right now obsessed with backstories. Right now, as the NFL draft is in town and all these folks are being, you know, prospects, people are being watched. Do you know that there's people whose whole lives, their entire career is built on knowing the backstory of every single one of those players, every point, every time, every score, everything. They've been tracking these guys since they were in Pop Warner. I mean, this is incredibly important to someone's career as a professional athlete. They have a backstory that kind of got them to where they're at. We recognize that's important. Now, for, for those of you who've ever done any level of serious therapy or, or counseling, you know about the backstory. If you've ever done that before, and, and if you haven't, we're, we're a church that believes that that's absolutely essential to soul care in your life, is that you have someone speak into and look at the deeper places of your soul. I've been in counseling for almost 14 years now. I'm so grateful to God for it. And guess what we talk about? Guess what I spent a lot of time and a lot of money talking about? My backstory. And my family loves when I talk about them to you. They love it. <laughs> That's what you do. You spend a lot of time unpacking your backstory because it has incredible significance to who you are and where you're at today and how God's even been a part of your life all along the way. This is really important that we understand the significance that backstory plays even on a country, on a culture. I don't know if you've been watching the news at all this week. My hunch is you have, and you've been watching the events that have come out of the city of Baltimore. And you may have been wondering, how, wait, how did we get here? What's, why I don't understand? And I just want you to understand that there's a, a backstory in our country. Our country has, every country has a backstory. Part of, certainly not all, but part of our backstory is we are a country who has a backstory of racism, of injustice, of systematic poverty, of abuse of power. Now look, like it or not, this is a part of our backstory. And so anytime you see a protest happen, it is not an isolated incident. Never. It is a response to, it comes out of a backstory. It's a part of a bigger story. And so the reason that we even have to say something like Black Lives Matter, that we even have to utter those words, is because a part of our backstory is there was a day when they did not. 
And you may be wondering if our backstory isn't quite over yet. And it's in moments like this where I see God, I go, God, help me understand how to live in this world where we're at right now. And I'm reminded that God's church has a backstory too. There's a backstory to the church. And like any backstory here in this world, it ain't always pretty. And in fact, on the kind of some of the church's worst days, it's turned a blind eye to injustice. And in fact, on the church's darkest days, it's justified injustice. But that's not the whole story. Because the greater backstory of the church that we align ourselves with is that the church has always been there to speak truth to power. That the church on its best days, on its best days, speaks love to hate. The church on its best days stands against injustice and stands with those, all of who are oppressed. The church at its best, as a part of our backstory, as a part of our history, at its best, sees the other as sister and brother. That's the story that we align this church with. There's always a backstory to every single story. So you never get to watch a news story out of the context of its backstory. I just want you to understand that. Backstory matters. Your backstory matters. My backstory actually matters. And so if we're going to look at the life of Moses and dive in as deep as we're going to the next couple weeks, we better understand his backstory, his origin story, if you will. Where did he actually come from and what are the events that led up to the life of Moses? So what I want you to do is I want you to grab a Bible and you're going to open to Genesis chapter one. So if you have your own Bible, just go to Genesis one. If not, there should be a Bible in your seat back here in this room, also in our overflow space. You'll look under your seat, you'll find a gray Bible. I want you to turn to Genesis one. This is really easy. Just turn to page one, just go all the way to the left, turn to page one. We're going to start there. And just all you have to do is kind of put your finger in that page, pause right there. Because what I want to do is over the next five minutes, I'm going to walk you through the entire book of Genesis. Okay, I'd make all my biblical history scholars very, very proud of me right now. I'm going to walk you through the whole book of Genesis in five minutes. In fact, I'm going to give you 2,500 years of biblical history in less time than it would take you to make an omelet. I'm going to do that over the next couple of minutes, but you've got to work with me and you've got to stay with me. And what we're going to see over the, the entire course of the book of Genesis, the backstory that leads up to Moses, is there's a pattern that is perpetuated and present throughout every page. And that is this pattern. God is faithful we're forgetful. Now I want us to just all just get on board with that idea because you're going to see it again and again. So let's say it out loud. God is faithful. We are forgetful. This is the pattern you're going to see play out over all the stories. I'm just going to briefly walk you through and we're going to see it over the next couple of weeks in the life of Moses. God is faithful. When God is faithful, the people flourish and as they flourish, they rise and as they rise, they soon forget about God and they get comfort in all the things that he's provided for them and then eventually those things become their God and they forget all about him. And then they fall into despair. Oh God, why have you forsaken us? And they get all the way to the bottom. And then they remember, oh wait, there's a God who is faithful, who is yet to forget about us. And then they rise on the wings of God's faithfulness until eventually they forget about him again. If this story sounds familiar to you, it's because it's your story too. It's my story too. This is our story, isn't it? But our life is just a series of kind of highs and lows with God where we remember or we're aware of, we feel close to God. Yes, I'm walking, I sense it, I feel it. And then eventually what ends up happening is we just forget all about God for whatever reason, any number of reasons. So our life can fall apart or we hit the bottom or we hit a wall and then we go, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait. I remember now there's a God who loves me. And his love is written through every chapter of my backstory. 
This is a pattern we're going to see throughout everything we're going to look at, these stories real quickly. And so I want to start with the story of creation. It seems like a good place to start, the beginning of Genesis 1. And I want to let you know, we start on a really high note. Things are great in Genesis chapter 1. God creates humanity, Adam and Eve are created, and they experience this unbelievable intimacy with God. They are so present with God, literally, in the Garden of Eden. Things couldn't get any better until sin presents itself, and the presence of God that they experienced is broken. And things get, things get bad, like really, 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 really bad from creation. Like so bad that God is looking for a reset button on humanity. And it leads to the life of the next major character in the book of Genesis, which is Noah. And Noah, in that time, is described as the only faithful person in all the world. And God is ready to say, you know what? I can't. Sin is destroyed. This is not the, this is not the picture. This is not the idea. But he goes, no, wait. I will be faithful to you, Noah, and to your family. And God spares Noah and his family. And they kind of begin again with God. And about 400 years later, just about everyone's forgotten about God all over again. And there's another character that comes onto the scene, a person of faith in a world of faithless people, forgetful people. His name is Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. The Bible calls it a covenant. This is a God-ordained sort of promise that I'm going to make to you that Abraham, from you will come a nation, a whole nation of people, and they will be my people. And Abraham's like, that's awesome. That sounds great. But Abraham has to explain to God that he's 99 years old and he and his wife Sarah have yet to have one child. And so he's like, God, your nation sounds awesome. I think I need to explain birds and bees to you. This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to work. It's not me. You got the wrong guy. And God says, let me show you how faithful I am. And through Abraham, we begin the story of the people of God. Abraham has a son named Isaac. His faith is and God is tested through his son Isaac. And then Isaac has two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And Isaac handed down the blessing that was handed down to him from his father Abraham. And he gives it to the firstborn by five minutes. He gives it to Esau, the older of the two. And he says, the blessing of God is on your life. You are part of the great story of God unfolding through our family. And Jacob doesn't like this. Jacob wants the blessing. And so what Jacob does is he eventually, later in life, deceives his brother, deceives his father, and I didn't know you could do this, steals the blessing of God from his brother. And so then what we end up having is a story where Jacob, then his whole life begins to fall apart, he stole the blessing and everything fell apart around him. And he spends the majority of his life running from God. It's to a pretty low point, in fact, where he literally wrestles with God, wrestles it out, and comes to a peace with God and begins to see the promise of God and the faithfulness of God that it will actually come through him. And so he has 12 sons. And one of his sons is actually named Joseph. Joseph, like his uncle Esau, had some family issues. There was some jealousy among his brothers, 10 of them specifically, that did not like Joseph. And so they set out to kill him. They wanted to end. I mean, that's, we've gone way past don't cross the line in the back seat to I'm going to kill you. And that's exactly what they set out to do. But they settled on a lesser thing and they actually just sold him into slavery to some travelers who were passing by. So now Joseph is at the lowest he's ever been in his life, in a foreign land, trying to find his way. And eventually he rises into some prominence, some influence. But then he's falsely charged of a crime he didn't commit and he's thrown into prison. And so now it gets worse. 
than it was before. And it was there in his prison cell that he remembered that God is faithful. God is faithful. He was faithful to my father. He was faithful to my father before me. He will be faithful to me. And we see in the life of Joseph, what an amazing story rises to prominence and influence in the land of Egypt. In fact, he is basically calling the shots for this entire empire. And what he does through his uh, relationship with God is he discerns that there's a famine coming, so he helps them prepare for it, and in so doing, saves Egypt and saves all of the people of God who've been growing, his family members who've been coming into Egypt for refuge and for safety and for food. He ends up saving not only hundreds and thousands of people, he ends up saving his own brothers who actually threw him into the pit and sold him into slavery. Isn't that amazing, the faithfulness of God? I don't know where you're at in your story right now, but Joseph clung to the fact that God was faithful to him. And he has such fame and influence, he becomes a national hero. This is about as high as you get in the Old Testament, outside of creation. I mean, this is, in the book of Genesis, Joseph is the man. I mean, this is it. Like, this is such a high point for the story of God. But eventually, Joseph dies, his brothers die, And it sets the stage for this character that we're going to look at the next couple weeks, Moses. And when Moses enters into the story, when Moses is born, things have gone from bad to really, really bad to, oh my goodness, bad. Really bad. Because here's what happened. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 1. So you can jump ahead a couple pages to page 39 in the Gray Bible, Exodus chapter 1. This is the text we're going to look at today to set the stage for the backstory into the story which Moses enters into. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, Joseph, national hero, dies, his brother dies, and then there's a change of power. And look what it says in verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant what? Nothing. Came to power in Egypt. Pause right there. Then a new king comes into power who doesn't know the backstory, doesn't care about Joseph, doesn't care about how faithful he was and how he saved all of Egypt does not care about Joseph. Now, isn't it interesting? We're only one verse in. How similar this may have been to a moment in your backstory. I mean, think about it. We've all had a moment like that where things are going really well and things are going great at work. You feel like you had a great team. You're in a great place. And then they send in a new manager, a new boss, and they do not care about you and how everyone loves you because you always bring donuts on Friday and how great you are. They don't care about you. And things change at work. Or maybe there comes a, a shift, you know, your landlord decides, oh, you know what, I want to sell the place. And so you've got a couple weeks to find a new place to live. And they don't care about how faithful you've been to pay your rent. doesn't matter. They forget about you. Or the doctor calls back and says, I want you to come back in. I've got some news I need to share with you. Our stories can change in an instant. And you may be riding an incredible high, and then tomorrow you have no idea, and the bottom may fall out from underneath you. This is what had happened in the story of God. This Pharaoh could care less about God or about the people of God, and let's look the extent to which he carries this out. Exodus 1, 9 through 10 says this. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them. Or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave this country. This Pharaoh has some serious abandonment issues going on here with a whole group of people. So he doesn't like what's happening, how they're growing, how they're prospering. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. 
And they built Pithom and Ramses as storehouses for Pharaoh to store all his wealth and resources. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. This little nation of Israel is like a nation of little bunny rabbits. Just keep making more and more and more people. And the more they're oppressed, the more they grow. And it seems like they can't be... Stop, thank you. You'll get that one later. But um, it gets worse. It gets worse. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter, not better, bitter, with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in their harsh labor, again, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Do you see how quick the story has turned? See how quick things have actually changed? This is the this is the backstory of which Moses' story begins. I mean, he enters in and he's born, and we're going to see in Exodus chapter 2, he's born into this oppression, this fanatical Pharaoh who wants to wipe out every male-born child. So anytime a male is born, he says, kill him, kill him on the spot. We have to stop the plague of the Israelites. This is where Moses' story begins at a very low point, a time of oppression, a time of seeming abandonment. A time where it was easy to forget the faithfulness of God. It seemed like it's just a far off thing. And I think if we were to be really honest, although the circumstances certainly are different, I think this is aligns at least with my story and with yours. We all have in our backstory those really high seasons where we go, oh, things were great, things were awesome. I bet every one of us, I bet we could go around the room and every one of us could tell a story of when the bottom fell out when you hit a wall, when it all fell apart. I mean, I don't, as far as I know, I don't think there's a single one of us here today whose life has been up and to the right, although it just keeps getting more awesome. I don't think <laughs> any of us have that story. And we're not interested in that story, are we? Because we know it's not real, that's not life. This is how life works. We have highs and lows, seasons where we're faithful and we're aware of God's presence, at least aware at some level. And then there are seasons where we forget and we get lost in our circumstances and we forget the one who has brought us through and who has brought us here. We all have our own stories of faithfulness and forgetfulness. I know I do. I bet you do too. If you were to be really honest, I bet you do too. I, I, bet, I, bet, we, I bet there's stories in here that folks could share about how you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for something. You prayed for a healing. You, you, you prayed for a job. You, you prayed for a relationship, someone to spend the rest of your life with. You prayed, you prayed, you prayed, and you never heard God answer the way you were asking. And so after a while, maybe out of exhaustion, you said, you know what, God? Forget about you. This is willful forgetfulness. I'm out. Maybe that's part of your backstory. Maybe for you, part of your, your backstory is you prayed and you prayed and you prayed for something and God gave it to you. You, had a, you got a job. Oh, thank you, God. I mean, you get that job. Oh, thank you, God. I'm going to dedicate every day to God. I'm going to pray every morning before work. You're so thankful to God. Or he provides a relationship for you. Oh, thank you, God. You brought this person into my life. We're going to build our relationship on you. Or maybe you had a child. Oh, God, thank you for your faithfulness in providing this child. Or you were healed. Oh, God, thank you. You brought me through. I recognize you. And it's only a matter of time. Let's be honest till you forget. And it's only a matter of time if we're really honest. 
that we shift our faith from the God who gave it to us to the thing he gave to us. That's my story, at least. I so quickly go, oh, thank you, God. This is it now. This is the point. And I forget about the faithfulness of the God who brought me through. Maybe for you, maybe for you, part of your backstory. In fact, maybe this is the whole reason you're here today is because the bottom has fallen out recently. Relationship ended. You never, ever, ever, ever thought divorce would be a part of your backstory. Maybe for you, the part of it is, you know, there was an addiction that you thought you could manage. You thought you had it under control. I could tell you a story of friend after friend after friend of mine who said, yeah, I thought I had it. And then it all hit the wall and it all fell apart. And my addiction just destroyed my life. And maybe because you've hit that low, that's why you're here today, because something happens at the bottom when we have nothing else to put our faith in. We go, oh yeah, I remember now. I remember now, there's a God who loves me and who's been with me all along the way. And maybe, just maybe, I might be able to have a relationship with him again. Maybe I could start again with him. And that may be the whole reason that you're even here today because you're trying as best you can to remember the faithfulness of God in your life. Or maybe, maybe for you, part of your backstory, part of your story is you've been, um, you've been a Christian, you know, you've been a follower of Jesus, a religious person, whatever you want to call it, for so long. I mean, you've like, you are like in this thing for your life. You've been committed to it. And you've had your highs and your lows, but you've been a Christian so long and you've been doing this all for so long that You've forgotten about the gift of grace. I mean, because you've kind of figured out how to make it all work and how to kind of do it, you know, as best you can. And you, it's not new to you anymore. And so you've forgotten how it felt when you first came into relationship with Jesus. You've forgotten about how it felt to be utterly aware of your dependence on him. You've forgotten that forgiveness costs something. And yet it's fully and freely available to you, maybe you've been in this so long, you've forgotten how special this really is. That's more my story, actually. I mean, it's, incre- it's, in- so it's incredible for me, if I'm being really honest, just giving you a little glimpse into my backstory. Like, I grew up around church. I grew up in a relationship with God. As long as I've known, I've been in a relationship with God, and I thank God for that. And I could point out over my life, man, I'm thankful to God. I saw his faithfulness. He led me through this and he led me through this. And I could just give you an inventory of my life right now. And if you were to look at my life, it'd be so easy for you to see and say, Jared, just look at God's faithfulness in your life. I mean, look at your wife. I look at my wife. I go, what a gift from God. I have a true partner whom I love more than anyone else in this world. A true partner in our marriage, a true partner in our parenting, a true partner in pastoring this church. And on top of that, she's beautiful, she's brilliant, she loves God. It would be so easy for you to look at my life and say, can you see how faithful God has been? And then you would hang out with our kids and you go, your kids are so much better than my kids. <laughs> you'd, never say you'd never say that. But you look at our kids, you go, look, these are healthy kids. You have, you have kids, you have kids. And they're great kids. And they actually love God. What a gift. Look how faithful God has been. It would be so easy for you to to be aware of God's faithfulness in my life. You could look at this church and go, I mean, look, look around you. Look at this. What a gift. This wasn't here five years ago. 
And God has been faithful every single step of the way. And God continues to grow this church. And more and more and more people keep coming. And more and more and more people keep entering into a relationship with Jesus, a transforming relationship with Jesus. And you could look at my life and go, Jared, can you see the faithfulness of God? And you know what the truth is about me? Is that I feel how forgetful I can be. Because it's, only, it's just only a slight shift in perspective for me to begin to think that all of this is because of me. I mean, I'm the one that wrote Jeannie the letter declaring how much I loved her and convincing her to eventually in a couple weeks fall in love with me. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're the ones that day in, day out are doing the best we can to raise our kids in the city and try and do that. I mean, honestly, like, it is exhausting. We go to bed every night going, ah, I, did we break even today, you know, with our kids, like, trying as best we can. It'd be real easy for me to, to look around and go, I mean, as long as, you know, I keep giving these world-class sermons every single weekend, and I keep, you know, it's really, really, and I'm not, it's really easy for me to begin to think that all of this is because of me. And how quickly I can forget the faithfulness of God. How quickly I can forget. I feel that forgetfulness nipping at my heels. Because that's in me. To make the thing that God provided the point of it all as opposed to the hand that provided it all. I bet that's part of your story too. And here, here's the thing. Regardless of what you're Backstory has been up to this point, because I don't, I don't know your whole backstory. Regardless of what your backstory has been up to this point, I want to just close with this one thought for you to consider for this week, is that you are actually writing tomorrow's backstory today. Tomorrow's backstory is written today. It, it's, not, it's not written like, you know, when you eventually get married or when you eventually settle down and find a place. or when you No, it's written today, actually. Every choice that you make writes the backstory of the life that you'll leave behind. Right, it's the backstory of the life that you'll give to your kids if you ever have kids. Right, it's the backstory of the, the life that you bring together with someone else as you commit to spending the rest of your life with them. You and I are actually writing tomorrow's backstory today. And so I think, honestly, as we kind of ramp up to look to the life, the story of the life of Moses, we consider the highs and the lows, the forgetfulness and faithfulness of the story of God and the people of God, I think you and I have a, a real choice to make. You have a real choice to make. I have a real choice to make this week. And it simply comes down to this. Will you this week have faith in God or will you forget about God? I mean, just so you know, you do, there's no like D all of the above. Like you choose in every decision. I'm either gonna put my faith in God and say, God, I trust you regardless of the circumstances. I put my faith in you, regardless of the circumstances. Listen to me. When things fall apart around you this week, it, it might happen. It could happen. We all know that's how life works. And if that happens to you this week, will you say, God, nevertheless, I put my faith in you. The bottom falls out. If she leaves me, if it comes back negative, whatever the thing is, God, whatever my circumstances, I will choose to put my faith in you. Or listen to this. Or even in a season when your life is going great. And it feels like, at least for this small window, it is all up and to the right. And you look around your life and go, I'm so, I, I get it, I feel so blessed. I feel like I'm in a season where I'm closer to God and I'm growing. Will you continue to put your faith in him? Sometimes that's the hardest season to put your faith in God. 
because you're riding the wind of his faithfulness in your life? Will you choose to put your faith in him regardless of your circumstances? Because here's the great news. Here's what Moses gets. Here's what we hope and we long for you to get, that God's character is not contingent on your circumstances. That he is faithful even when you're not. That he will never forget you even when you forget him. So what would it look like for you this one week to say, God, I'm going to choose to put my faith in you or God, I'm just going to forget about you in this area of my life. I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing and doing it my own way. We all have a choice to make because every one of us is writing tomorrow's backstory today. We're going to see this over the next couple weeks. I hope you don't miss it. I hope you make a commitment to being with us every week as we walk through the story of the life of Moses because what you're going to see every week is that there's a choice to be made. Will I put my faith in God? Or will I forget and kind of do things on my own terms, put my faith in myself? And this is the pattern, again, that repeats throughout the whole of the Old Testament. In fact, this is what I love. Every story that comes out of the Old Testament and every story that we're going to look at from the life of Moses, all is actually building to a greater story that we've built this church on. Every little story we're going to look at is actually setting the stage for the bigger story. And in fact, every single story in this room, every single person in this church, every single story in this world, every single broken and beautiful backstory is a setup for a savior. That's the good news. All of it is a setup for a savior. All of our highs and all of our lows set the stage for us to ultimately come to the choice to say, okay, Jesus, I need you. I have yet to be able to make my life go up and to the right. I need a savior. I need someone to save me from this cycle and lead me into life with you. All of this is a setup. Every story is a setup for a savior. And what I love so much is that we have a moment right now to stop and recognize and acknowledge the love of that savior. Because Jesus, for whom it's all about anyway, had a moment where he was with his followers, his friends and followers, and this is just hours before he would be arrested and ultimately crucified, offer his life for you and me to save us from our sin, from ourselves, from that cycle. To be raised by God from the dead, he gathers them together, and I love this. He huddles them up around a table, and they're going to celebrate a meal called Passover. Maybe you've celebrated that before. Do you know where Passover comes from? It's from the life of Moses. And Jesus takes these elements, these parts of the story, the backstory. He takes bread. They had celebrated and broken so many times before. And Jesus says, here's the new, here's the bigger story. He breaks and he says, this is what it's about. My body being broken for you. It's real. I'm real. And I came to do this for you. And then he took wine and it was a symbol, as we'll see in the life of Moses, to represent the covering of God the protection of God. He says, this is what it means now. This is the saving blood of Jesus. And every time you drink this wine, it's a reminder of the bigger story, that every single story is a setup for a savior. And we get to actually participate in that today. Isn't that beautiful? Something that began tens of thousands of years ago was given new meaning by Jesus 2,000 years ago. You and I get to come to the table today because Jesus knows how forgetful I am. 
In fact, he even said when he commanded his disciples, do this often so that you don't forget. Because you will. Because I will. And so today we're choosing not to forget. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the table to receive these elements. And you'll be led by our host team. They're actually going to come up right to the aisle and dismiss your row. And if you're kind of in this middle section, you just kind of go to the side you're closest to and make your way to the table, either in the front or the back. And what you're going to do is you're going to break off a little piece of bread, just like Jesus did with his followers. And you're going to dip it into our not quite wine to represent the blood of Jesus. And you're going to choose to remember. And I want to invite you to come to the table today with words on your lips of God's faithfulness. Will you just take this moment for all that it is and say, God, thank you. I see your faithfulness. God, you've been faithful to me with this. God, you've been faithful. God, help me to be faithful to you. What a, what a tremendous thing to do together today. And so I encourage you as you're waiting to be dismissed, or as you come to the front to say, God, Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for never forgetting about me. God, it feels like I'm at my lowest, but I choose today to not forget you, but to put my faith in you. And when you come to the table, if you need to have gluten-free bread, ask them, they'll provide that for you. We don't want anyone to miss this opportunity. It's that significant importance. So let me pray for us, and then we will come to the table together. Jesus, thank you that you are the greater story, the bigger story, and that every single one of our backstories is a setup for the story of a savior. And that is who you are and that is why you were here today to save us from our sin and from ourselves. And so we choose to remember and we choose to honor and we choose to acknowledge and we choose to declare your faithfulness. We choose to no longer live in fear, to no longer live in forced forgetfulness. We choose this moment to be faithful to come and to remind ourselves of your faithfulness to us. And so Jesus, thank you for this little reminder, this tactical, practical, tangible thing that we can do to align our hearts with a bigger story. And I pray that we would find in this moment your loving presence, maybe like we haven't experienced in a very, very long time. So thank you that you invite us to come and that you gave us a reason to come and you've given us a life to live with you through your body and your blood. Jesus, we come to you and claim that we are your children today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as the host team dismisses your row, you can come to the front to the back to receive your elements.